maybe I shouldn't be looking for a multifamily. Maybe should, I should look for a single family home with a little, you know, additional mother-in-law in the back or something like this. Or maybe I should just do single family and do room renting, which I was not going to do that. But I was thinking <laughs> about these things, right? <laughs> so eventually I said, no, I'm just going to be persistent. And if it takes a year or two years, eventually it's going to work out. Everybody want to get the bag, but y'all really know Trying to figure out how to start now. Blue gems, gotta show you the way. Cause we top finance and amortizing and anything it takes to get real estate. We've been grinding up there, finding ways to get paid. Better hop on this web, cause we're dropping blue gems. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems. Let's go! Let's go! Bro, so stoked Thanks for coming on, bro. Man, very excited. Alberto, bro. You've been just crushing it, man. We're so excited to have you. Tell us a little bit about you, how you got into real estate, how you got started, all that good stuff. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. That's that's awesome. I, I've been looking forward to doing this with you guys, and I'm excited about it. Now, how I got started, um, how much time do we have? <laughs> so I started right after college. I graduated college and first of all, I wanted to study in the US, but I didn't get to do that just because it was so freaking expensive and uh, my family couldn't afford it. So I ended up going to study in the UK. I played soccer that helped me cover that tuition over there. So that was awesome. And then as I was in college, I was traveling to the US, especially to the South States, um, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama. And I really liked Florida. I really enjoyed my time in Florida and I wanted to move hopefully here. And then I wanted to do something that has to do with um, an occupation, a job that does not cap you to a certain amount. I wanted to do um, something where I can build something and the more effort I put into it, the more money I get back in return. So it was either pretty much stock market or real estate. <laughs> and we know the reputation of people on the stock market. I, my second, my first most important thing was I want to do something that's honest and where I provide value for um, the people that I work with. I wanted to do something and be proud of it. I want people to make money when they're working with me. So that's when real estate came in. I started looking into internships and jobs as I was trying to find a job from uh, after graduating college. And I got the great opportunity to start for a vacation rental company in Miami. They offered, they offered me um, an internship with a visa. They sponsored me for my visa, which was super important. And I started with them. That was, that's how I started. I started as an intern. We had about 20 to 25 luxurious Airbnbs in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, um, Naples. And then three years later, we pretty much quadrupled in size. And that made hundred properties may not sound a lot like a lot, but then most of our portfolios was 600,000, a million, $2 million homes. So it was pretty good revenue. And um, I started. So. <laughs> right. I started as an intern, and then slowly kept getting higher and higher and higher, and learned the business from every single angle because I was doing all the all the annoying things that nobody else wanted to do initially. And then slowly started doing better things, booking calendar. Um, then I started going into meeting owners, selling our services to owners, then managing owners when they always signed up with us, doing the yearly or uh, every six months reviews with them talking about the numbers and i also got my license that's that was important to mention i got my license as soon as um as soon as i got to that position that was the deal i'll do i'll do real estate while i'm doing that job and i started doing that as well right away and that's, how long ago was this that was about four years ago four and a half years ago now when you started when i started so just to give you a quick summary, because I was super young back then. And bro, you're still super young. Yeah. You look like yeah. you're 22. How old are you, bro? I'm 26 now. Wow. The wow. youngins are just taking over the real estate taking game. Taking over the I game, that, bro. bro. That's team, awesome. Team 26 out here. Let's go. <laughs> so when I started, I was super young and Miami's full of sharks in real estate. They're some of the best agents in the entire world are in Miami. 
And it was a tough market to penetrate and to learn how to do things the proper way. So initially when I started, I had to do a bunch of different things and I've experienced different parts of real estate. Initially I started doing rentals, which was a quick way to make money because in Miami commission of just renting a property to someone, a friend of yours or a client, it's a, a one month of rent or half a month of rent most cases. Oh, nice. So when you rent a $3,000 home, which is an average price in Miami, you get 1500 things at pretty much two week transaction. So nice. it's pretty quick. And in the beginning, that was my way of making money. I was doing four, five, six a month on a good month, seven, eight. So I was making decent amount of money, but it took a while. And then after I built up my confidence, I started doing real estate transactions, selling short-term rentals. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much that part of my life. Then as we were progressing, and as I mentioned, quadrupled in size, I started doing more and more things. The owners started getting more and more distant of the business. They let me handle most things. And I was just worth mentioning. I was doing three years, Monday to Saturday, 10 to 12 hour days wow. every day. Haven't, didn't have a Saturday off for like three years just because that was a deal. I'll do real estate uh, on the side, but I would work six days a week. So I was working like crazy for three years and I felt like that's too much for me. So that's when I had the opportunity to meet um, Justin, who is um, an owner of one of the best long-term rental property management companies here in Orlando. And uh, he wanted to hire me. So then I made the move to Orlando. Then I started doing that. So I experienced that part of the real estate. Meanwhile, I'm forgetting something. Sorry, guys. It's all good. But meanwhile, I was also doing Airbnb arbitrage in Miami with a bunch of properties just because I was on a visa. I couldn't really buy many properties because nobody would lend me money. <laughs> um, so I was I was doing Airbnb arbitrage. I was making a good amount of money with that as well until COVID hit. <laughs> then we How many did you have before COVID hit? So I had four. Four, four of them all in Miami yeah and they were awesome they're they're great deals out I, I like talking about numbers you know me by now so, yeah yeah um, so so let's definitely talk about some numbers and like also what happened to those arbitrage like did you just shut them down when COVID hit I did not shut them down I had a year lease and I still had four or five months left out of the lease so luckily I was smart I was putting money in reserves in case something bad happens Sure. And then I was able to also convert them into long-term rentals very quickly and actually subleased for a long-term tenant uh, for a higher price than what I was paying. So I got just talking numbers, I got them for about 1500 each. Some of them were 14, some of them were 16, but about 1500 each. Those were studio apartments in downtown Miami in a short-term rental building, high rise. And then those were making about three and a half to $5,000 a month. So anything above 1500 in bills, it was for me to keep. So I was making about two to 3000 a unit every single month out of that. And that was oh. awesome. And then COVID hit. So I had to convert them back to long-term rentals and get out of those leases. And the other thing is the building also decided we're not going to do short-term rentals anymore until further notice because we're spreading the virus. Wow. So we converted to long-term. Tenants were paying 16, 1700, so I was covering my expenses, broke even for three, four, three, four months, and then I got out of that. That's a success. And like, that's the importance of having some type of backup plan, right? Just in case happens. you had reserves, you still had an opportunity to, to do long-term rentals. And uh, yeah, I mean, exit, it's unfortunate, but. Exit strategies, man, that's yeah. the way to go. Always have second, them, third backups for sure. So what year did you move to Orlando? That was 2020, right after as COVID hit 2020. I was already, you know, looking for a move, but then just COVID and then the opportunity just to move here, that, that helped a lot. And then at that point, what did your portfolio look like? So you got rid of all of your rentals entirely and moved strictly to management? Correct. Yeah. So I had no, I mean, I kept them for a few more months up until pretty much last couple of months of 2020. I still had those on a long term but I had nothing else. Keep in mind, I was still on visa, so I I could not get access to loans. That's why about 12 months ago when I finally got my green card, then was, that was the first thing I did. I you bought, like, I bought a house hack. <laughs> yeah. that, that was the first thing I was eager for. Um, so my portfolio, I had nothing at that point. And I just moved here and I was trying to figure out what am I going to do? Where is that 
keeping COVID going? Uh, am I going to go back to arbitrage? Am I going to start buying stuff? Am I going to concentrate on management? What am I going to do? So I end up make, doing a good mix of everything. Um, yeah. Like I, yeah. I love it because like you're a realtor, you're a property manager and you'll quickly, or most, most realtors will quickly tell you, Hey, this is a good investment or you should do this. You should do that. But they're not actually buying. They're not actually implementing these things that they're telling you to do, but you're putting your money where your mouth is. You're saying, Hey, you should house hack or, Hey, you should do this. And then you're going out and doing it too. Right. Literally love that. That's something that one of my mentors early taught me. He was he was saying when you're going to put other people's money into something, it's always good to test it with your own money. That, that could be a vendor, or that could be a investment property, or it could be something else, another transaction. But put your money first. Have a test drive. If everything goes well and you feel confident, you can repeat it with your own money. And then once you feel comfortable, then you can put other people's money. Where unfortunately in our industry right now, what happens is everyone likes over-promising and under-delivering or promising things that they cannot deliver in terms of my vendor is going to do this, he's going to do that, the investment property is going to do this, and things never happen, which is unfortunate. Great advice. So you both mentioned house hacking. This is my favorite term. So talk to us about that deal. So you got your green card or your visa around 12 months ago. And then from that point until now, what were you doing? Wait, wait, before we start, what, what is house hacking just for the audience out there? Okay. I'm True. We, we all know, but yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> just in case, you know, so house hacking, the easiest way to say it is when you buy a property and you rent out a portion of it and that rental income pays for your cost of holding that property. What does that mean? In my case, it's a duplex. I live in the one side, rent out the other side. Um, I do short-term rentals with that site and then the income from that property covers all of the expenses of the rental unit and all of the expenses of the unit where I live in. And I'm trying to be kind of greedy there and I include my own personal bills, such as my electricity, <laughs> my Wi-Fi, all of these things. But that's the way to do it. The goal is to live for free. So you don't have to pay for mortgage. You don't have to pay for rent. You're living for free. Wow. I mean, you're, you're saving so much money just from that alone. So you can just, I'm sure, go reinvest it too. So, Well, average rental amount in Orlando right now, after a 25% increase in rental properties from last year, it's about 1,500. 1,500 times 12, that's 18,000 a year. Wow. That's for people my age. It's a lot of money, especially if you start on a 35, oh, 40K uh, initial salary after college. If you can save half of it and not pay rent, how much more money are you going to have for investing, for retirement, for everything else? Yeah. Let's go back to your question though, Aiden. You had a so, really good one. Yeah, absolutely. So around 12 months ago, you decided that you were going to start looking to buy. So walk us through that process, right? What were some of your hurdles and how did you find this deal? Okay. So it was a very long process. That's something worth mentioning. House hacking is a great thing, um, but now in this market, it's very challenging to find a good house hack. Um, it's not easy. It's not as easy as you just go buy any property and you, you're good to go. So what happened is I got, I got pretty much ready to be able to buy. Therefore, I went to my mortgage broker, which is a rock star, by the way. I don't know if I can give shout out. Shout out. Definitely. Go ahead. For sure. Okay. Brian Tooze from Tooze Lending. He's awesome. And his entire team. I've done many transactions with them, their team. He's awesome. And that's Love what it. you want. You want partners who have your back at any single point of your trans transaction. Not just the transaction, the actual process of looking for an investment property. Sure. So he got me pre-approved. He gave me a few different options for loans. And then I was ready to go shopping. And I had <laughs> four goals that were non-negotiable for me. I wanted to get a multifamily. I wanted to get um, a property which allows Airbnb, uh, meaning short-term rentals. Um, I also wanted to be able to live for free. That was the main goal. And the last one is I wanted to pay zero money out of pocket. I wanted to buy it with nothing down. 
wait, what? <laughs> Bro, that's that's some awesome four goals. I want that in every deal. Like, like let's let's dig into the numbers a little bit. Well, it sounds like a fairy tale, and that's what most of my family <laughs> and friends are here. Like crazy. Are you watching some right. YouTube inspirational videos and HGTV, <laughs> this guy? Yeah. But no, pretty much what I wanted to do talking about the zero money down is I was pre-qualified for a three percent down loan. And I'm a real estate agent, so my oh. my commission is about three percent when I close any transaction. So when I buy my own property, I still get my agent commission, which is about three oh. percent. And then the other expense in real estate transaction is besides the down payment, is also the closing costs. So I wanted to mm -hmm. get the seller to pay for my closing cost. So that was the goal: get your three percent commission back, put your put it towards down payment, so that's zero, and then get the seller to pay for your closing costs. So that's another zero. So zero and zero makes zero, right? I mean, dude, you can <laughs> write a book just with this this deal right here. Now, the house hack, no money down <laughs> strategy. Man, this is the dream right here. Now I have some bad news that I did not achieve that. Out of the four goals, I managed to get three and a half of those. So I had to put some money out of pocket, but uh, it was a nice trade-off. So I'll explain you how that went. Going back a little bit, it took me about 11 months to go under contract for the property that I actually mm. ended up buying. It was a long process. I was competing against uh, buyers with much more money, um, cash offers. And right now, I'm not sure who the listeners of, the, of this podcast could be a, a lot of people. So I'll try to make a quick introduction of the Orlando market. In the Orlando market, there are many multifamilies. It's a very... Um, uh, it's a very low inventory on, on those type of properties, scarce, scarce yeah. inventory. Therefore, there's more buyers competing for a less amount of properties. And um, that made it even harder. If I was to buy a single family home, probably it would have taken me much less time, but <laughs> it was a multifamily. So uh, it took me 11 months. I got uh, under contract on one deal. I was close to a couple others and I got outbid in the last, last minute. The one transaction I was under contract, we went all the way through the entire process until appraisal, um, property appraisal and everything, and everything. But then we found some issues with the septic system, some things that the seller was doing, which are not very legal. And <laughs> therefore it was a no go for me. So I had to back out. And then luckily I managed to hold off. Um, I found this property, actually, the one we were talking about, about four months, five months before I actually go under contract on it. It was listed on the market, but it was overpriced. It they were asking for 415000 I believe. And I knew the house is worth about three fifty. So I talked to them. I introduced myself. I told the listing agent what I wanted to do. Again, my policy is always be honest, transparent say what you want to do. Don't try to misrepresent anything. So I was honest with him, built a little bit of a rapport and um, he liked me, but he said, you know, your offer is way too low. One day if the sellers go down and they ended up selling for this price, we might talk again. So I kept following up and kept in touch with him. And I saw the property starting to drop in price from 415, it went to 399, from 399 to 389. And I reached out to them again. So I said, hey, how about we do something? I'm going to pay 355, 360. We end up going under contract for 354, if I remember correctly. And then I got them to do some repairs. They replaced the electric panels of the property. So that was great. Um, also, I talked to him about covering the, the closing cost, <laughs> <laughs> but then he said, you're being kind of greedy because you're putting 3% down, you're getting your commission back. So you're pretty much putting no money down, at least pay for your closing cost. Seller is also doing repairs. So I said, okay, I'll, I get that. If he's paying 5,000 for electric panels, I'll put, I'll pay for the closing cost, which was about 10 K. So that's, that's pretty much what happened. I managed to renegotiate the deal afterwards because Luckily for me, it appraised for appraised for 336, even though I thought it's worth 350, and comps were showing that it's worth 350, 360. But the bank came back with 336, and the seller had the option I had to renegotiate or not. I thought honestly, I thought the deal was dead at that point. Yeah, yeah, um, it was a tough weekend. I, I, I couldn't sleep Friday. That was a Friday conversation when the appraisal came back. 
Actually, oh. Brian, my lender, called me. He's like, hey, man, probably came back at 3.36. You're under contract for 3.54. I don't think it's happening. You know, we either have to get the seller to match this. But keep in mind, he was asking for 4.20 initially. Right, yeah. Wow. Do you lose your EMD in this situation if, uh, you know, you don't cover the other 18K? No, because you have the financing contingency, which I... I mean, that's a non-negotiable again. You have to have that. And uh, I got my, I would have gotten my money back if I was to back out. That's what happened with the previous transaction. So Brian called me and he was disappointed about that. He was like, hey, you worked so hard for this one. And now it seems like it's not going to work out. And then I went back to talking to the listing agent on that Friday and to the um, indirectly talking to his sellers as well. And said who I am, what I'm trying to do with this house. I'm tr in real estate. I'm trying to be an investor. I told them my entire story and I emphasized on that um, because they were investors as well. And I said, this is how I'm starting. I want to make a house, house hack out of this. And I would really appreciate it if we can find some way to make this happen. So the agent ended up dropping 5K from his commission. Wow. He asked me to drop 5k from my commission, uh, so that's 10,000. And then there was another fifth. Uh, let, let me make the let me do the math. It's uh 336 to 354. That's 18,000, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we covered the 10,000 from our commissions, and then the seller dropped down 8,000 from the price. So we ended up uh, closing for 336, and the property wow. is already worth 350, 360. So what do you think happened with the appraisal? Because I know having bought multifamily before, multifamily appraisals can be tricky because they're based on income, but they're actually residential properties. So anything under five units, as you know, is a residential appraisal. So they're not basing it off the income, they're basing it on the sold comps. And in Orlando, there's not many comps in the multifamily. So what were some of the challenges with the appraisal there? Well, those were some of the issues, exactly the things that you touched on. Um, they have to put three or four comps in the report and the nearest comps, just because the inventory was so low, were seven, eight miles away, where oh usually God. on a single family home, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a half a mile. mile right? wow, yes. That's crazy. So they're putting multifamily like two miles max, you know, I mean, seven miles is ridiculous. There's nothing else though. Exactly. Yeah. There's nothing else. So nothing. they're putting things which because there's nothing else because people were holding those properties sure. because they're as valuable as gold because there aren't many in Orlando. So he used properties which are very far away, properties that are in much uh, worse condition than the one I was buying, property that had a bunch of problems and they were not really comparable in my opinion. As soon as we closed, of course, there are three, four other ones that closed for a, for a much higher price after me, which was <laughs> good, but you know. It's good for you now. It's good for me now, yeah, but it now. was not back then. Like I said, that Friday conversation that I had with the seller and with the agent, um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I couldn't sleep. I, it was, I was fed up. I thought about 11 months. Yeah. 11 Man, months. Brutal. And brutal. luckily that at eight, I remember I was actually, we were, we were getting ice cream, um, uh, at McDonald's, <laughs> ice cream cones <laughs> from McDonald's and I got this that. This is a low moment, man. It was a low moment. <laughs> and I got that call from the agent and he told me that Sarah's waiting to accept that and I was super happy that day. It was like a quiet moment of, yes. Yeah, man. Man, congratulations, bro. That's an amazing story. I think one of the questions that I have is for someone listening who says it's not possible, who says that, you know, this is a fairy tale story. What would you say to them? You know, someone that really wants to do a house hack, but there's just so many challenges and it's becoming very difficult. You know, what would your opinion be there? Well, <clears throat> it is difficult. It is, it's, I'm not going to lie and say that it's not difficult, but if you put the effort and if it's difficult, no question that it will be worth it at the end. So the 11 months were not the entire transaction, as you know, since we talked about that. Right after we closed, I also spent two months of renovating the property myself, putting sweat equity in it to raise up the value additionally. And that, that, was, that was hell as well. And besides that, keep in mind, you have to put lots of money. And when you're young, when you're my age, 26 or younger or whatever you're doing, putting all this money for down payment, closing costs, especially if you're not an agent to get 3% back and then putting money for renovations and not really 
uh, know if that thing's going to work out or not is challenging. So it's very important for you to have good friends, good family, good people around you who support you and also to be mentally strong. Uh, it took about 25 offers on properties that I placed to wow. get that one, those two under contract and eventually one of them ended up working out. Yeah, that's a lot of no's. The discipline yeah, the is discipline real. To continue and the consistency is what you got, what got you there. Exactly. And then many times throughout transactions, especially once that first one failed, I was, okay, I'm being kind of unreasonable. I need to adjust my standards. I need to drop them down. Maybe I shouldn't be looking for a multifamily. Maybe I should look for a single family home with a little, you know, additional mother-in-law in the back or something like this. Or maybe I should just do single family and do room renting, which I was not going to do that. But I was thinking <laughs> about these things, right? <laughs> so eventually I said, no, I'm just going to be persistent. And if it takes a year or two years, eventually it's going to work out. And I kept pushing and pushing. And luckily, it's the way to do it. I got, I got it. Yeah. Amazing, man. Yeah, I know. I mean, having done it in 2020, I can't imagine doing it now because when I did it, you know, my, my first duplex was March, 2020 and everyone was running away from the market. So I was the only offer on like a duplex in Northern college park. So as you know, a competition, how lucky did you get there? Right. How lucky. So I bought it for 345. It's probably worth about 480. Um, rents have gone up, you know, as you said, 20, 25%. So definitely worth it. But thinking back two years until now, my offer wouldn't have even been coming to the table. And right. Think about how you felt at that moment as right. well. You, you were thinking probably, am I being stupid for buying this when everyone else is running away? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. I couldn't sleep for about a week. See, nobody tells you about those things. Everyone tells you you're going to go in real estate and you're going to make millions. <laughs> I have a funny, That's I have a funny happens, story right? actually. Um, so, so I bought the property, right? I, I, I was listening to the podcast. I felt like I knew a lot, but uh, two days in the, the power turns off because I never set up the utilities. So I'm, <laughs> I'm hiring the, I'm hiring the cleaning company. I have a tenants coming in to potentially rent out the unit. And they're, as they're like walking in, the power shuts off and I'm just of course like, it happens at that yeah, moment. I'm like, I'm like, are you kidding me? And then like, I, I call, I call my agent and he's like, bro, you have to like set up your utilities. <laughs> like you own the home now, the own, the, the previous owner is not paying for it. And then two weeks later, the same thing happened with the water. So the water was separate from the power. And I was like, how are those separate? Like I'm, I'm paying one bill and then. I'm just like, man, they don't tell you this on the podcast, bro. <laughs> right. You've been renting too long, right? Yeah. And just used to just paying that rent and keep the... It's a lot of responsibility, yeah. you know, and, and it's not easy. I think a lot of people kind of hear you and I and, and we're telling people that we're living for free, but they didn't see you put in two months of, of sweat equity. They didn't see you make offers for 12 months. They just see you post on Facebook, hey... You know, I have this unit and I have it on Airbnb and it sounds amazing, but they don't see all the effort that went into it. And so I think stories like this kind of helps people understand the discipline that it could take. Oh man, I want to talk to you a little bit about the sweat <laughs> part because nobody really knows uh, besides my family because they've been seeing me, but I haven't told my coworkers, my, many of my friends, I haven't talked to anyone because that was... That was a challenge. I, I work a lot. I, without the house hack, I'm doing 10, 12 hours for 10 to 12 hours a day. And then I tried to shorten that. So I was doing more of regular hours, eight, nine hours a day, sometimes 10 hours a day. And right after that, I was driving to a duplex. I was going to Home Depot, buying everything or ordering stuff. And then from 7, 8 p.m. every night, I was working until 1, 2 a.m. every night. I did the painting myself. I painted kitchens myself. I changed baseboards myself. I changed doors myself. Uh, I learned so many things because I didn't know any of these things. So many times, I remember one time, that's a funny story. I had to take off a door to paint it. And once I was done painting it, I had to put it back on. So when I was taking off the door, I, I messed up all the screws. So I kept digging into the screws and they all got stuck there. So I couldn't take the door off. And then I had to go to Home Depot and buy something to cut the screw so I can get the, the door out. And people don't tell you about these things, but that should be a two minute job. But when you're doing it yourself and you don't have experience, that thing took four hours. Wow. Wow. So when I finally took that thing off and I, I finally got the door off the wall, I threw it in the backyard. And after I was done, actually a couple of weeks ago, I 
was walking around the backyard and now the backyard is nice. It has a fire pit, it has nice sittings around it, it has lights all over. And then I found that little thing and that was like probably the most emotional moment of my entire transactions. Like, remember that thing took me four hours to take off, four hours for that little thing which should take a minute. So nobody tells you about these things, about the sleepless, sleepless nights. Was going back home covered in pain everywhere and there's paint stuck in my hair because I didn't know exactly what to wear when I'm painting <laughs> when I'm painting with a sprayer my sprayers broke a bunch of times and I was going home at like 2 a.m the next day I had to be up at 7 a.m again to go and work so nobody tells you about these things but they're part of it and the most important part is you should enjoy them yeah they're they're a struggle they're tough but you should enjoy them I probably could have paid someone to do all these things, but I wanted to be personally involved and learn about all these things. Um, so I have better knowledge, first of all, and because it was my first house hack, so I wanted to have my personal touch on it. Would you do it again? Because I was wondering why you didn't hire someone, so I'm curious if you would if you would do it again or if you would just outsource it well, to save your time. Now I know the knowledge to say, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and for this, this, and this, I'm definitely hiring. Yeah. So quick example, I only hired one person to place new flooring, new luxury vinyl plank in the unit. That was the only contractor that I hired, but I didn't want to pay thousand dollars more uh, for them to rip off the tiles that were in the property. <laughs> so I was like, how hard can it be? I'm just going to rent a jackhammer and I'm gonna just going to, you know, uh, break these things, get them out. So me and my friend, we rented the actual equipment that you need to break the tiles and rip them off. But those things were made in the 80s and properties made in the 80s uh, are tough, man. Not, nothing comes out easily. They were made to last. So it took us an entire day uh, on the one side and then I did it myself the next day. It took me another 10, 11 hours and then I had about 30, 30 or 35 bags full of broken tiles which I had to get out and get rid of them myself. I didn't have a dumpster or anything else. So I had to figure out what to do. And that was, that was about one ton. I don't know what's that in the, in, in the US. 2,000 pounds, right? 2,000 yeah. pounds, yeah. So I ended up getting a Home Depot truck, loading all of that to the Home Depot truck, going to the dumpster, throwing it away. So it's, it's a crazy experience. And probably people are laughing now listening to this because it's such a dumb way to do it. But I didn't know and I was learning and now I know and I'm never going to do it again. I'm going to pay the thousand dollars. I'll pay them two thousand dollars <laughs> just to get rid of them. I'll pay them double that. But I know which things I can do myself easily, comfortably and which things I'm not I'm, I'm going to have to hire someone. That's exactly how I feel because I did the same thing. So on my first one, I did a lot of things myself and I said I would never do it again because I was so bad at it. So I was like the time that I'm spending learning and trying mm -hmm. to figure out how to do it. It's just not worth it, you know, because I'm able to make that money doing, you know, what I'm actually good at. Now, if I was good at it and I enjoyed it, then I would have a different opinion, but I'm just not handy. So it wouldn't make sense for me to try to try to learn. Well, the other thing is the cost you need. I'm a numbers guy again, and I right. justify everything with numbers. So if I was to hire everything, it would have cost about 25 to 30,000 by doing it myself and paying the contractor for the flooring. The flooring itself was about $7,000, no, $6,000, sorry. And then uh, I only spent $4,000 for everything else. So I saved 17, 18,000. Um, in my opinion, it was worth it. Money-wise, it was worth it, but it just, it was, it, was a, it was an effort. You have to calculate how much your own personal time is worth as well. Right, but exactly. Then you have a bunch of guys who are doing house hacks and they don't have that much money to to put down and you don't have this 30 grand right after you put a down payment and a closing cost. So you have to do it yourself. Yeah. I had a, I had 25 K in my bank account and I spent 23 K on the deal. So I had a whole $2,000 to work with. So that was my only option. Um, there you go. But now being in a different position, uh, you know, I wouldn't take that same route, but you know, you got to do what you got to do to get the job done in whatever stage of your journey you're in. Mo because right now I mostly work with older guys who have been in business, not just guys, but you know, all kinds of people and they're, they've, they've been in business for years, 20, 30, 40 years. 
And they all kind of have that crazy story for the first one yeah. that they did and they right. renovated with their wife or they renovated themselves and they messed up everything. Luckily, I, we didn't mess up anything, right. hopefully, but... Uh, hopefully. You know, hopefully. <laughs> maybe, maybe in five years, an uh, inspector comes around and he's like, well, I don't think this was the, the proper way, but <laughs> hey, I got it. We got it done. No, we were in property. I mean, I was in property management, so I've seen how bad things are done and how things are done properly. So I had that experience, which was good. I know how a painting of a property should look like, right. how a kitchen cabinet repainting should look like. Um, I know those things. So I did quality control myself and I'm also a perfectionist in a way. So something that a regular person would do for an hour and a half, maybe took me two and a half, three hours. So I did spend my time with it, but it was worth it. Property's already renting, it's covering its cost. And this will be my first month living for free. So it was worth it spending the extra time and the memories that you make, which funny, the property is actually called memories on Airbnb. <laughs> oh, nice. hey. The memories that you make uh, are prices. You're going to remember them 30, 40 years from now. That's awesome, man. So I assume since you have this property management background and, and you are still in property management, right? Correct. Okay. I assume you're managing your own Airbnb. Yeah. How is that going so far? Well, it's been awesome. I did spend a good amount of money in marketing because I think that's something everyone should do. I spent about $800, $850 on marketing videos, twilight pictures at night, twilight sunset videos at night. I spent a lot of money on the marketing, but already the property for this month is booked for 20 days out of the 30 day month. And those 20 days are covering my $1,900 mortgage payment and the actual income will be $2,200 after covering all expenses. And I still have 10 more days to book. So it's exactly what I was projecting. I was very conservative in the way I was doing my numbers, but I was expecting to get at least twenty-five to 3000 a month. And it looks like in the first month with no reviews, no reputation on the property, um, I'll be doing with the lowest rates also, I'll be doing, I'll even have a profit after after paying everything so amazing. so you paid about 850 dollars in marketing like where are you advertising this marketing because i think most people just go to platform use vrbo and airbnb what are you doing differently that i'm doing that as well i mean that um, that's what everyone is doing and that's the way to do it but i did spend a lot of money um on the marketing meaning i paid the photographer a lot of money to take care of mm. all these things then something that we do and not many other people do, which helps the reviews and the experience for the guests, which is the most important thing in many people overlooking short-term rentals. Um, part of those videos are recorded for the guests, which don't go on social media. They don't go on Airbnb, VRBO, booking.com. They're just specifically for the guests. When somebody books, they get their instructions. Thank you for booking. They also get a awesome video of the property. Hey, this is, um, this is Alberto, great meeting you. Um, this is the property that you've booked. Here's a quick video, which you can share with your friends and family. We look forward to having you here. If you have any questions, let me know. That kind of does two things at the same time. It sets, sets the expectations of what the property looks like, because it's not just pictures. It's a video walkthrough video, very detailed, high quality video, not one on your iPhone. <laughs> it's a very good video, which shows exact way the property is so if they like it great they're excited about it if they don't like something that they see they get to cancel book something else and not leave you a bad review so that's that's part of the marketing that we did it's record those videos we are very big on videos we can talk more about how we do that but that's something that i find super important set the expectations from the beginning that's awesome and i remember when you and i first met um you sent me an email and within the email, it had a quick like three second video and it just, it had like a, a whiteboard where it said, hello JB and you were like waving. And it stuck out to me because it was so different. And I was like, wow, man, he's really paying attention to detail and he made me feel special. And it only took you, what, mm -hmm. five seconds to write down my name and, and make that video, yeah, so. Well, that's again, part of a system. I'm not going to take credit of that. Sure. That's something that we do in our uh, property management company when we do long-term rentals. And that's something that we do for all of our clients. And the thinking behind it is 
again, two things. It makes the relationship much more personal. You don't just see a voice or a face or an email signature. You actually see a person, you get to see their expression, how they feel about talking to you, especially when COVID happened, you didn't have that interaction. So you get that. And on top of that, it saves you a lot of time because rather than writing a Absolutely. four or five paragraph email, you get to speak for 30 seconds and cover all of these things. Or if the email sounds kind of harsh as well, uh, if you're saying some things, because as property managers, we have to deliver some bad news as well. If, if those news are bad, it's much better received on the other end. If they see your expression, you see that you're concerned, you're genuine, and you're not sounding like, uh, the email may come out if they read it without seeing that video. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. No one has ever mentioned that strategy. So are you sending it as a YouTube link, like a Google Drive link? How is the Airbnb guest actually watching the video? Yeah, that was my question too. I was curious. Yeah, there's a program that we pay for. It's a software. It's called BombBomb. B-O-M-B, B-O-M-B. And it, you pay for it, but it's an awesome software. So it helps you record those videos. You can include, uh, you can screen share, you can share your screen, you can record that video. You get traction. So you see who watched your video. So when you saw my video, I saw that you watched it and mm -hmm. I saw that you watched the entire 100% of the video. If you were to be like, oh, that guy's annoying and skip it on the 50% <laughs> mark, I would have known. And I also get to see how many times you saw it. If I, if I'm, potentially working with a new owner who is thinking about signing up with us and I see that he watched the video 10 times it's probably a good a good time to reach out and say hey uh, do you have any questions can we talk a little bit further about our product so it helps a lot so don't, don't don't steal all my tricks but that, that's, that's a, a really blue gem one. that's a blue gem let's go bomb bomb it's a great software and it's something that you can use in so many different ways. It takes some time to get used to it until you feel comfortable being camera and have that whiteboard and write quickly. Hey, JB, uh, great meeting you today and wave that so people can see the actual recording it personally for them. And it's not just something that you keep sending over and over again. Um, it takes some time to get used to how you speak in front of camera and it get it takes some time to understand exactly what you're going to use this for. So in our uh, Airbnbs, we use it in many different ways. For example, again, when we met, we talked about systems a lot. We are very big on that. And the way uh, we try to organize everything is if that thing keeps coming up and it's a problem and there's no system for it, that's, that's a big issue. It needs to be resolved right now. So we're building a system for it. So how many times do you get guests calling your Airbnbs? Hey, how does that TV work? I can't get the remote to work. Or a weird one is how do you turn on the shower? Because showers in Florida are different from showers in different states. So for anything that might pop up during their stay, how do you open the electric lock on the door? You have a quick link of videos. And if they reach out to you, just send that. And here's how you work the TV. You turn it on, you do this and this and this. And it's already pre-recorded, so you save that time of writing the email, explaining it, doing the phone call. It's much, much easier. Also, it helps for the five-star reviews, especially if you're building the property in the beginning, if you're self-managing, or if you have a small amount of properties and you want more of a personal touch for luxurious properties, uh, which is super important. You can greet the guests in that way and record that 30-second video. Hey, John, great seeing your booking coming through. We look forward to having you and your family here for your daughter's fifth birthday. Um, we look forward to um, providing a great accommodation for you, a clean stay. Please let me know if there are any special requests. And we look forward to seeing you on the 20th of May. So Boom. it takes wow. 30 seconds. And Mic drop. Have wow. you seen any of that done before? I, I bet not. Yeah, yeah. Man, I love the tutorial videos. I, I imagine that saves you so much time because I know a lot of people have they have the guidebooks or they'll have like a, a binder when you, cause I've stayed in Airbnbs, you'll have a binder when you walk in and that's great. But I mean, who's realistically reading the binder? Probably not many people. Exactly. So when if you, you have a video. <laughs> when you have those 20 pages, you're just going to go through and like, ah, let me just give him a call. Yeah, so right. <laughs> that's what right. I would do as well. Right. Where when they send a Airbnb message or the VRBO message, or they send you that text, you're just sending that back and 
you already have in your Dropbox folder or Google Drive or whatever you're using, you copy paste the link, you send it to them. You do that as part of your onboarding. You take one hour to record all of these videos for absolutely everything, how you work the stove, how you uh, work the microwave, microwave, it's a weird microwave. How do you log into the internet? All of these things. Uh, if the Netflix account is logged out, how do I log in? All of these things you can record in one hour to two hours and they saves you they save you hundreds of hours if you are to manage the program for a few years amazing blue jam blue jam 100 i'm doing that <laughs> my man is always trying to video yeah i'm trying to something. video everything yeah well so. it's scalable right so you do it one time and then you're done you don't have to go back and repeat it and repeat it and, and figure out how to solve the problem it's already complete well you just make it part of your system again right you have your Walk through. Here's what happens when we take on a unit. First thing we set up the utilities. We order the pictures. I'm just giving you examples. That's not the exact process, but uh, then you do this. Then you go to walk through, do inventory, see what's in the unit, what you need to order. Then record the videos. After you record the videos, uh, check on this, this, and this, and you just follow that process. The goal for making a successful business is to be able to put a monkey on the chair and with no little <laughs> or no training to be able to follow that checklist and do everything that you would do. So I'm a brand new investor. I just learned about real estate investing. What would be your advice for me? Again, we have a system for that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to bore you with those things, but <laughs> that's, that's what we're trying to be big on. So when we meet a new investor, we use a CRM system and uh, we have the entire process being there from first introduction, first call to after he closed on the property to six months after the property is closed to the annual reviews of management of the property. Everything is there. So you just have to follow it step by step. First thing is talk to them, try to educate them as much as possible for whatever they're interested in learning, see what they know, see where they are in the process and uh, see if you can work with them. Don't over promise be very clear in what you're doing what you're not doing and if you can help them or not if you can help them great get them started on the next step which could be pre-approval or it could be uh, get their things together to get pre-approved whatever the case might be uh, just again make sure you can actually help them before wasting their time and your time most importantly their time many agents right now are just especially when they're new and they start in the business, they're eager to get everyone to get them started to work with them. And that's great, but you have to learn to say no, if that's something that you cannot do. And maybe for them, it's better not to invest in Florida because they only have 150,000 access to a $150,000 loan. What are you going to sell them for $150,000 in central Florida? Nothing. Maybe send them to a different state, Michigan, there you can find a bunch of things for 150,000 could be a better investment for them. Amazing. Oh. And so you are involved in property management from both a long-term rental standpoint and a short-term rental. Can you compare the two? Yes. So I loved that part of my journey again, starting with the short-term rental company. And I thought when I started that that's all there is. And everyone who is doing long-term rentals just don't know what they're doing because they're missing on so much and they're missing on so many great returns. But every investor has different needs. Some people want to go for the high cash flow. Um, other people want to go just for appreciation. Most people want to go for a little bit of both. Other people just want to park their money in the US because the country where they live in, the currency is constantly uh, devaluating. So you have so many different kinds of investors and you should be able to serve them all. And long-term compared to short-term, long-term provides much more stability. It's much less involved. You don't get too many 2 a.m. calls. Uh, <laughs> you can outsource much more easily and find um, a good, reputable, long-term rental property management company and be um, very hands-free where short-term rentals takes a little bit more if you're to do it yourself. If you're to find a short-term rental management company, that's where I see the biggest difference. It's much easier to find a long-term rental management company that will handle the unit well, even though that's not easy either, but it's much easier than finding a good short-term rental property management company or a person because in short-term rentals, your property management company makes you or breaks you. 
even if you buy in the best community, even if you buy the best floor plan with the nicest pool and you decorate it perfectly, if the guy who runs it runs it down to the ground, uh, your investment will be horrible. Where and you'll feel it much quicker because you won't have any money coming in, and it's it's much it's much quicker to react. Where if it's a long term and you have that tenant in for twelve months, even if the management company doesn't send any maintenance, doesn't answer their calls, they're still in there for twelve months. You can find someone else. You can put a new management company. You can handle it yourself because it's not that complicated as short-term rentals are. Love it. Great insight there. So where do you see yourself in five years? What are your goals? Where are you trying to go? Well, in five years, that's a good question. Um, we're, I'm trying to grow here what we're doing to a much bigger scale. I'm trying to personally keep buying more and more properties because, again, that's very important important for me, for what I'm trying to do for my future. And also I practice what I preach, which uh, we talked about that earlier. Yep. It's super important. Not many agents or people in real estate do that. Agents are selling properties, agents are managing properties, but they don't invest themselves in real estate. All three of us here are doing that. And I think that's super important. So the goal is keep building that portfolio, keep working on it. And then what I'm really working on right now and what my goal in five years is, is to build something so well with systems that are built so well where you can plug it in in any other market. We have that to a degree, but it can always be better. I want to be able to take everything that we're doing here in Central Florida and plug it in in uh, Miami or take it to the Smoky Mountains or anywhere else. And it's the same process. We just need to find different people and that process is built because that's that's your, the value of your business and of what you do is how well we can build that thing to run by itself and to make it scalable so that's my goal love it i have a question for you completely just take a second personal question would you ever hire a short-term rental property manager for your own portfolio 100 percent, yes why why <sighs> Would you hire a doctor to do your surgery? <laughs> I mean, that's how I look at it. It's, you know, it's something that it takes you an entire you to an entire podcast to do, and you have covered just a little bit of it. Yeah, there's so much more real estate, so rich and so creative. You can do so many different things. Short-term rentals, it's a brand new beast. It's only been around for so many years compared to real estate in general. True. There's so many things that you think you know. But even if you've been in business for five, 10 years, you don't know what you don't know. Now, imagine someone brand new, has no experience in real estate coming in and trying to do that. What's going to happen? Yes, you might get lucky and do it properly, or you might get yourself in so much trouble and then never touch real estate for the rest of your life, which would be a huge mistake, obviously. So when it comes to something specific, uh, such as vacation rentals or something where you can hire a professional. If you can find that person who is an expert in the market, you can trust them. They have a proven track record. You can not just listen to their promises, but you can verify their track record, see the deals that they've done in the last 12 months, two years, three years. You can talk to referrals, three, four investors that they've worked with in the last two years, and then if they have an older investors that have been working with them for 10 years, that's what you want to see. You want to talk to these people and if they're happy and they're having a perfect experience and they don't have to touch anything on their properties, everything's running smoothly and they're able to concentrate on buying more properties, scaling more properties. Why wouldn't you want to mess and manage that thing if you can get a professional who is much, much better than you do that? Yeah, I mean, that sounds great. But generally speaking, at least whenever, you know, I talk to other investors that have a short term rental property manager, they're not making any money, right? They're giving up 20, 25, sometimes even 30% of the gross income. And it's just not enough for them to actually make any money. That's a good point, but you should not be compromising on that because you made a mistake and you didn't do your numbers in the beginning. You should see what the industry average is. So right now it's about 20%. 
you should plan for that in your numbers. And that's how we teach our investors to do their numbers. Either if you're buying a long-term rental property or short-term rental property, for long-term rental property, it's easy. 10% management or 8% management, depending on how big of a deal it is. 5% for vacancy, 5% for CapEx, 5% for maintenance. And then that's reserves that every single month, that percentage is allocated towards that. Now, in short-term rentals, you have your percentage for property management and then you have some reserves for vacancy and repairs and same thing. You have a percentage depending where the property is, how big the property is, and that should be part of your buying process. You should not be buying a property, um, planning on managing it forever because that's just not going to happen. You're going to manage it for five, 10 years. Do you know where you're going to be in 15 years? Maybe you can manage it yourself. Great. Then you have 20% extra income. Uh, but if you don't, you have to be able to trust a professional to do it and have that money allocated aside for it. Um, how I see it is the way we do our short-term rentals is we are aiming for a certain percentage. Right now, we're going for about 8% to 9% net return after paying all of your expenses on a cash on cash uh, on a cash purchase, where if you're to manage it yourself, then that same property, if you are to manage it yourself and you can do it properly, it's going to produce 11, 12%. So, uh, it's just an extra income, but it's another exit strategy. You can hire someone to run it for you. And if not, you're just making more money, but you should not be doing your numbers and think for best case scenario. And then something comes up, you have a health issue in your family, you have to take care of your a family member and you can manage that thing then you're going to have to sell it if you don't have the allocated amount for property management. With that being said, there are many management companies that are not great in what they do, which is unfortunate, but just like any other profession, they're good and bad people in what, in what they're doing. So we have to spend the time to vet these people, make sure they're properly qualified. They have a good track record. Take a look at the properties they're managing. One thing I always tell my investors, no matter who you're working with, you don't want to be with the biggest company, which manages $3,000 in Orlando. You don't want to be with someone who has one property either, but if it's something small, but efficient, which is what we are, that's, that's something special that you can find there because you get that personal treatment, you get the systems that are already built in there and, uh, you get that priority treatment of getting in early into something. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. All right. So last thing that you can leave one blue gym and it could be anything. It could be about property management. It could be about new ownership. It could be about real estate investing or just l simply life. One blue gym for the audience. Oh man. Um, <laughs> no pressure. You should have prepped me for that question. A you got bit. him. <laughs> you got me here. Well, I'll probably go with one of my personal values and it's not a very popular opinion. It's not something that you hear people talking a lot about, but I'm all about being honest, transparent, straightforward. That's the best policy ever in real estate. You get people who are trying to fake it till you make it. And it's full of those people. People can see through those smoke mirrors all the time, especially people that have been in for a while. Some of our best clients, which have been in business for 34 years and done everything, they can see through that pretty quickly. So don't worry about buying that flashy car to show that you're successful in your business. Don't worry about this super nice clothes that you want to wear on every showing or meeting that you're doing with your clients. Just say your story, say who you are, what you're trying to do where you are right now. Don't try to make yourself being something bigger or smaller than what you actually are. And people are just going to appreciate the honesty because it's a very, very rare thing nowadays. Love that. My man. Amazing. Thank you so much, brother. Where can people learn more about you? Well, you guys can reach out to me on bigger pockets. You can follow me on social media. I'm not really big on social media. Unfortunately, <laughs> I do post a lot of bigger pockets, but social media, it's it's still something I'm learning, uh, but bigger pockets, you can reach out to me. I'm available to talk. How do they find you on bigger pockets? 
You can look up my name, Albert Nikodimov, and you should find a bunch of posts. <laughs> Spell it for <laughs> everyone. <laughs> okay, Alberto, just like Albert with an O at the end, A-O-B-E-R-T-O, and then my last name, N-I-K-O-D-I-M-O-V, Nikodimov. Nikodimov, let's go. Let's go. Thank you, brother. Thanks so much, brother. I appreciate you. The brother. house hack wizard. True pleasure. Awesome, man. Killed it. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems.